And wasn't the singing last night great? Wow. It, it, I wish all of you had a chance to be up here just once so you could hear what that sounds like. Um, you know, we had 148 people last night and uh, it, it, was, it was just incredible. But I want to start out this morning with just a little confession. Uh, hi, my name is Joe, and I'm a news junkie. Uh, whether it's television news, uh, newspapers that Brother Gene delivers so faithfully to my house, uh, or internet alerts, they always grab my attention. And, and you don't have to watch very much of it to realize, uh, in my opinion, that the world seems a little darker this year, if that were even possible. Uh, it may be the, the pall that has kind of seemed to hung over our national mood in the wake of uh, our divisive election, uh, the rampant crime in places like Chicago and uh, Michigan. Maybe it's the, the number of global hotspots this year in the Middle East uh, and in the Ukraine and now North Korea kind of rearing its head again. Possibly the horrific murder last month in Moscow, Idaho. Or maybe it's the number of Deaths caused from the rising scourge of fentanyl that the Biden administration is allowing to flow unabated into our unguarded borders. Are you depressed yet? Right. Well, you probably get the picture that the world just now seems rather dark and hostile. And so I wonder uh, this morning what this Christmas is supposed to feel like when so much of the world seems to be in such turmoil uh, and the angels cry of peace on earth seems uh, more of a distant wish than of a present blessing. When we who gather to sing carols and, and light candles and hear the Christmas story seem so very small against the backdrop of this troubled world. And, and then as I, I thought about that this week, then the reminder came, you know, that, that whole turbulent backdrop is the very landscape of our Lord's nativity. It is exactly the kind of time and place where the King of Glory shows up as the tiniest of babies in the meanest of places, uh, bringing with him the great headline and the goodest of news, and yes, I said goodest, goodest of news that the world has ever heard. And we're going to share it again this morning from the Word. I hope you have your Bibles with you. We're going to be taking just a tiny departure today from the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to jump over to Luke chapter 2, uh, and I'm going to be reading to you the first 20 verses. <clears throat> so please join me in your own word in front of you. Luke 2, beginning in verse 1, and listen for the voice of the Spirit. So in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. 
You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, let's read it together, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And when the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, our Father, how can we even begin to approach uh, such an incredible story, such an incredible gift of love on such an incredible day? Uh, Lord, we ask that you would just allow your Holy Spirit to infuse uh, these so familiar words with fresh meaning and fresh hope and fresh application uh, as we seek to receive from you all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Siri, if any of you uh, are news addicts like me, one thing you may have come to realize uh, is it's, it's always the little stories that get you, right? If you're a politician, right, or a celebrity, or a, a public figure of some type, it's never the big scandals that bring you down. It's always those little ones, those tiny little matters that get missed in the bigger clamor of life, like, like the accounting mistake in Al Capone's business records, right? Or, or that, that tiny little tape recorder of Watergate, uh, the piece of hair or the bit of fabric or the stray fingerprint that gets picked up by the CSI team. And you know that the same uh, truth kind of strikes me in the events that Luke goes on to describe in the birth narrative this morning that seems so incredibly small too. As, I mean, what, what does the mighty Caesar Augustus or, or Governor Cornarius care about a pregnant teenager and a bunch of wandering shepherds? Right? Uh, Mary and Joseph and, and the, the rest of these folks around the manger are so insignificant compared to the rulers of their day. And yet Luke declares that whether the rich and the powerful leaders care or not, heck, whether they even notice or not, the events that Luke describes in detail are going to change the whole world. That they're going to bring down empires. That they're going to dethrone tyrants. And that's a really bold claim to make when you think about it that the birth of a baby to an unwed teen mother in the squalor of a backwater town could possibly matter. And yet, brothers and sisters, there in a nutshell is the promise of the gospel, that God regularly shows up where we least expect God to be. Uh, and then he turns the whole world's ideas of meaning and worth upside down. Uh, and I don't know about you, but we could sure use some of that today, couldn't we? In a day... Uh, where the average person's concern is only for themselves and for their own wants and their own needs. Uh, and they view the world like they themselves are the center of existence, like they're the supreme governor of their own lives and the arbiters of their own reality. And they couldn't be more wrong, but they don't know it. And I'll give you a, just a quick illustration. I heard a pastor a while ago tell a story of two U.S. soldiers that had been stationed in England during World War II and how uh, one night they made their way into one of the local pubs and, and proceeded to drink themselves into a stupor. And when the, the pub's owner finally 
kicked them out in the wee hours of the morning, they found that a dense English fog had rolled in overnight. Uh, and since they couldn't see any of the, the landmarks around them, they realized that they weren't going to be able to find their way back to the ship at port. Uh, and just as they began to walk around and uh, search for some kind of sign to get their bearings, uh, they saw a man walking toward them. It was a, a high-ranking naval officer, but he was, he was dressed in formal evening clothes. He was on his way back from a late-night dinner party at the U.S. Embassy. And so, of course, the drunken sailors didn't recognize him out of uniform, and they, they said, hey, excuse me there, Governor, could you point us back to port? Well, the officer was furious at the men's behavior and even more furious that they didn't recognize him. And so he bellowed at the men, don't you know who I am? And after a brief pause, one of the soldiers said to his buddy, wow, we are in trouble now. Uh, we don't know where we are, and this guy doesn't know who he is. <laughs> but isn't that the state of the world that we're in today, right? In, in a world that wants to break with every ideal of the past, a world, uh, folks that have no idea who they are, uh, break with every moral framework that leads uh, folks to believe that they can identify, self-identify as whatever or whoever they wish to be without any higher frame of reference or meaning. Uh, it reminds me of a, a serious quote by uh, Viktor Frankl, if you know who he is, a Jewish psychotherapist who survived the horrors of the concentration camps. He wrote, uh, for too long now we've been dreaming a dream from which we are only now waking up. A dream that if we just improve the socioeconomic situation of people that everything will be okay People will become happy. But the truth is that as the struggle for survival has subsided, the question has emerged, survival for what? Survival for what? And he concludes by saying, ever more people today have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. And so see, he's getting at the, the question of meaning. Does human life have a purpose? Is there something that we're designed to aim at? Is there something we're intended to be because if atheism is true and there is no God, uh, then there can be no grand purpose to life. Uh, if that's true, we're just freak cosmic accidents. We're just a random collocation of atoms thrown up by the tides of time and chaos and natural selection, nothing more than matter and molecules. But you know, if that's true, some fairly drastic consequences follow because then there'd be nothing wrong with treating our fellow human beings on that basis, as if they had no inherent value or dignity. And don't we see that played out every single day in this world? And our focus gets even more blurred by uh, those who wish to be politically correct. Like right now, my kids are not on Christmas vacation. The kids are only enjoying a winter break from school. Uh, the words Merry Christmas have turned into Happy Holidays, a phrase uh, that has no real meaning when the biggest emotion that most people feel during these holidays is not happiness, uh, but resentment or exhaustion or depression. Because the truth is, as, as Frankel said, no amount of education or culture or economic success will ever change that because none of those things can change the only thing that needs to be changed, and that's the human heart. Our hearts need to be changed, and only God is big enough for that. And at Christmas, he sent his only son for just that purpose. The baby in Bethlehem who comes to offer his redemption and to offer hope and peace and joy to every tongue and tribe and people and nation in this life. If only the world could see it. 
If only the world could recognize at Christmas that time was interrupted by eternity and that the silence of earth's dark night was broken by an angelic announcement. And as one author has said, by the call of the miraculous entering the mundane and the monotonous, the pure calling to our impurity, the power to change appealing to our intransigence. That's the miracle that's needed to change this world. This story of the earth's greatest visitation in the miracle of the incarnation. That this birth that we commemorate is not just an ordinary human baby. They weren't just celebrating the birth of a king or a prophet, but rather that in Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God himself became human. He was literally incarnated, in, in flesh. And, and folks, that doesn't mean that he took on a human body as if he were a mere passenger. It means he joined all of his God self to a human nature. The Apostle John says it like this in the opening of his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then further down in verse 14, he says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The Apostle Paul reflects on this in his letter to the Colossians where he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And you know, after, after Christ's ascension, the early, early years of the church, they needed to think through what a doctrine like this would mean and, and how to express it. And so one of the earliest formulations of it turns up in the Nicene Creed that we affirm every communion Sunday before we come to the table was officially adopted in 325 A.D., and you may remember it says, We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. Our familiar Christmas carols echo the thought, and we sing lines like we've already sung this morning, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, or uh, word of the Father now in flesh appearing. You see, Jesus, uh, in Jesus, God didn't just look human, he became human. Uh, which at the very least, at the very least, confirms we are more than the stuff of which we are made. Human beings are not just atoms, we're not just matter. We're greater than the sum of our parts, or the outcome of our economic production or of our relationships, or our biology, or psychology. We are image bearers of Almighty God who carry incredible value and significance. Value so high that Jesus was willing to step into it and pay the price of his life to redeem it and to restore the image that we've broken. So that as one pastor said, that the mirror of our souls might be angled at him and reflect the true image of God as it was intended. And that in so doing, we might be truly human in the light of Jesus Christ and to his glory. So, you know, although uh, the world is dark, it's not forsaken. And all of those terrible headlines that we read and worry about can have their day, but one day they're going to fade against the backdrop of this little Christmas story that we've been telling for over 2,000 years. And, and, and I realize that that message can sound simplistic when so many of us uh, struggled to see God amid the world's bad news. 
when so many more wonder where God is in the midst of their own personal, more private pain, the pain of broken relationships or loved ones that are lost, a serious illness or job loss or depression, or, or maybe it's just we get caught up in the day-to-day -day routine of making ends meet that we sometimes have a hard time imagining that God could possibly make a difference in our own personal worlds. And sure, maybe we believe in God generally, but sensing God's presence, let alone seeing God in the nitty-gritty of our everyday lives, that's sometimes a different story. Maybe occasionally you relate better to a secular humanist professor, Richard Dawkins, who said of this world, he said, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. He said, the universe we observe is precisely the properties you would expect if at bottom there's no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Wouldn't he be fun at a Christmas party? Uh, but a man who can examine the complexities of the universe and somehow not see God. But we know better. We know the universe is not like that because we know something, and better yet, someone that Hawkins cannot conceive, the God of the universe uh, that not only created humanity but condescended to become one of us. St. Augustine brilliantly and poetically asserts of this. He said, man's maker was made man that he, the ruler of stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread of life might hunger, that the fountain might thirst, that light would sleep, that the way be tired on the journey, that truth might be accused of false witness, that the teacher be beaten with whips, that the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength itself might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die so that we might truly live. But do people really see it? When we're so busy pursuing our own agendas, when people are so busy looking to themselves for answers rather than recognizing that our Lord Jesus is the touchstone. He's the linchpin of our existence. He's the catalyst that transcends all of our human attainments and brings us into an intimate encounter with a God who became flesh. Taking on our lot and on our life to give us a future and a hope grounded solidly amid all the stark realities of this life. Do you know when we go to God's word, uh, it's not light reading. Our faith is not a pie-in-the-sky book of fantasy because between the pages of this book, God unfolds a narrative full of brutal murders, sordid sexual affairs, manipulation and extortion. And with story after story, we see that we are all stained by evil. In fact, Romans 3.23 tells us plainly, we have all sinned and therefore been separated from God. And yet, throughout the biblical narrative, God also weaves the promise and the appearance of a Savior, giving us our hope for the future that we will be redeemed. And hope even over our past that, uh, that we're not alone, but we're still loved and we have purpose, even in spite of our failures, that they're not greater than our God's power to transform us. And when we as believers speak of hope, we don't mean a desire that may or may not be fulfilled. No, our hope is certain. Our hope for forgiveness, our hope for reconciliation with God and eternal life that rests on the finished work of Jesus and recognizing that he alone
brings contentment regardless of our material possessions. That he alone brings joy despite difficult circumstances. And the joy and the hope that nothing can destroy because it's stored in heaven where no earthly evil can touch it. That's why 1 Peter 1 says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this, foundation, this salvation. So can you begin to see this morning how much God loves us? Just think of it, that the creator of the cosmos would even bother to know that we exist on what some have described as an insignificant planet of a humdrum star lost in a galaxy tucked away, tucked away in some forgotten corner of a universe in which there are far more galaxies than there are people. But guess what, guys? God knows you personally. He knows you personally. In this universe of over 100 billion galaxies, and he doesn't just know you exist, he loves you, and he cherishes you. It's almost too good to be true. Uh, and then to come as a baby to actually be with us, it's almost unbelievable, but it's true that God so loved the world at Christmas. At Christmas, when God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, became the babe in the manger, that he might become the man of the cross, and that he might die as our perfect substitute to release us from the penalty of sin and reconcile us to God so that we could receive not just eternal life, but the meaning of it on Christmas, when God sent the eternal word, a word still heard around the world. And brothers and sisters, that word is Christ and he is still speaking. So listen, stop and listen, get your bearings. Because when all the chaos of this life seems to be swirling around us, there is one fixed point of reference. A virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, God, with us and may he be with us today and every day merry christmas let's pray together god our father we thank you for the precious gift of your son this christmas day we thank you for the gift of his life for his death for his miraculous resurrection and ascension uh, ruling now at your right hand and so lord uh, we ask that he would rule in each of our hearts today that he would have first place in all of our celebrations in all of our family gatherings. And Lord, that you would allow this Holy Spirit of Christmas to go forward from this place uh, to all that we encounter this week and across this nation, Lord, that your name would be honored and glorified by your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.